I set out on a quest with Penned to understand why people form relationships with someone who is incarcerated. And with each episode, the answer changes. There hasn't been one definitive reason why somebody chooses to write an inmate or start a relationship or fall in love because, well, you really can't help who you love. Brittany's story is an example of this. As she started writing to an inmate for non-romantic reasons, the communication progressed and it turned into more. I firmly believe the level of intimacy two people can experience from writing letters and communicating in a more traditional sense does ignite a spark in a way that most of us don't receive anymore. As traditional forms of communication go by way of the dinosaur, and new forms of communication train society to expect responses, texts, calls, well, does anybody really call each other anymore? Instantly, it shapes the expectations of a relationship. As we'll hear in Brittany's story, the spark between her and Michael started burning hot and fast, but is that enough to keep any relationship alive? Especially one started from within a prison cell. I'm Christina Hansen, and this is Penn. So you contacted me via Instagram. You had listened to Jade's episode. And I believe you. there's a connection there. Am I correct with you and Jade? Yeah. So I actually met Jade through her TikTok when she was posting like different pen pals on her page back when she was obviously doing TikTok. Now she's taking a break. But so she posted a, a couple of pen pals on her page and one of them sparked my interest. And it kind of just went from there, to be honest with you. So, but her and I became such good friends, like in the process. So it's been really good. It's, it's nice to have someone like in the same situation, I guess, I guess you could put it like that. Absolutely. Let's rewind back for a sec. So you, she posted a video, which she does um, for, for my listeners that don't know with Jade, when she is typically on TikTok, she will post videos of inmates that are, I think in the same prison as as Chris and are looking for pen pals, you know, just somebody to write to them communication wise. So that's what she does. But so what sparked your interest? What was, what was it about this post and this, this particular inmate that really sparked the interest for you to start communicating with him? Honestly, I, I honestly, I was just sitting there scrolling through TikTok. She came up randomly. I don't even know how I made it to prison talk, but I did. And I'm glad I did now. The post just went on and the picture of him that came up on her post, he, he's very fit, very cut. You know, he's got a nice body, very active. Me, I was kind of at the time going through like the opposite. Like I was probably at my heaviest weight, you know, having my son, I just gained so much weight and I was going through a rough time. Like I just pretty much ended my marriage. You know, I was with him for 10 years and yeah. So I just was like, all right, let me let me reach out and see if he's got any kind of like prison workouts and diets that he can help me with. And that's honestly, that's literally how it got started. That's why I reached out to him. Wow. Okay. So that's a different angle that I haven't heard before. It was like, you're just like, Hey, this guy looks fit and healthy and clearly he's got the the time and the space to, to really work on that. Like maybe he can give me some tips. <laughs> that's pretty much how I got started. Like that's what kind of sparked my interest. The other guys that she had posted, they weren't, you know, they were wearing their their inmate, you know, uniforms and stuff like that. But his, he had like a, a shirtless photo and I was like, hmm, it's actually pretty good. He probably knows what he's doing. So yeah, so that's where it kind of began because she kind of put instructions on how you can get a hold of these guys. And I downloaded it. The app is really like, they're kind of, these apps are so annoying. Like they're really hard to maneuver. So I just downloaded it and I figured out how to add him as an inmate, but I couldn't really figure out how to send messages or anything like that. 
So I, I left it alone. I just was like, you know what? Okay, obviously it's not, this is not meant to work out. So I'm just not doing it. And so I actually received like a, a, a day later, a message from him first. And then it took me about, which he always, <laughs> that's the number one thing he'll say is you made me wait three days to respond. But yeah, I did. It took like three days for me to respond. And honestly, the rest was history from there. Wow. Okay. So tell me about this inmate you're dating. Is that correct? On and off. I mean, <laughs> on and off for 10 months. I'm sure anybody listening that like is in like a long distance prison relationship, they're probably laughing because it's like one day you guys are perfect. The next day you guys are like, I'm not talking you know, to him ever again. But yeah, like we're off and on. We literally just got into a fight probably on Tuesday and here we are Saturday. And we spoke yesterday very briefly so it's just on these relationships with her. They're so tough. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, it's more than long distance at this point. Like you're, there's way more hurdles and, and things to overcome. And with somebody who's incarcerated. Yeah, it's tough. So tell me about Michael. So obviously, okay, we, we know the, the very beginning is, the, you know, you're thinking about it at a perspective, maybe not necessarily romance, just like, hey, maybe I can make a friend. He can give me some tips on weight training, you know, health, healthy eating habits, how to work out, things like that. So how did this blossom from something like that into, well, kind of a tumultuous romance? Yeah. (laughs) Well, right away he asked, like, are you, you know, sorry about your failed marriage? Like that sucks. Are you looking for something? Are you, do you want more kids? Do you want this? Do you want that? You could go to my very, very first messages to him, no, 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 was always my answer. I did not, I, I didn't want to get married again, didn't want to have more kids. You know, I was just content having me and my son. I honestly was just reaching out to have like a pen pal that could help me pretty much lose weight and get like a revenge body because I was, you know, my marriage pretty much failed. That's pretty much how everything began from there. And then just, I get, we went, we, we started talking every single day, like, his sister was the one, it was really sweet. I was actually getting tattooed and my phone was going off. And at the time I didn't even think like it could be him or uh, someone he knew. So I declined it. Cause I'm like, oh, I don't know that number. It's out of state. Didn't think it could have been him. And she left me like a really sweet voicemail saying like, hi, this is Michael's sister. I just, I'm reaching out to you because I had him on the line and I was hoping that you guys could talk. And when I got the message after I finished my tattoo, I felt terrible. So I called her back saying, I'm so sorry. I was getting tattooed. And she's like, no problem. No problem. When he calls me back, I'll make sure that you guys get to talk. So we did. And honestly, from that day forward, I'm pretty sure it was like the third week of February. We just literally talked every single day, hours at a time. Like we just became inseparable, even though we were long distance. Wow. I mean, it's pretty amazing when you make a connection like that, just almost instantly, you know, you're like, wow, like, was this, was this serendipitous? This is, I've never done something like this before, you know, like, and then all of a sudden here you are, like, as you said, inseparable. It was very natural. Like we have like a very natural chemistry. We're, yeah, we're definitely meant to be in each other's lives for some reason. Like, it's just, I understand him very well. He understands me very well. But we just, we laugh all the time though, because like if we're both into like astrology and all that stuff. And uh, if you go, when you look up like compatible signs, we are like the least compatible signs in the Zodiac, like the whole romance, Zodiac, all astrology. So we laugh because we're like, oh God, are we going to defeat the odds? Because we're supposed to be like the most, like the worst couple pretty much. 
<laughs> it's terrible. Okay, wait. So what are your what are your signs? Uh, I'm Virgo and he's Sagittarius. Okay, wow. Yeah, we've got some uh, opposites really going on over there. Yeah. <laughs> so anytime you look it up, it's like, yeah, definitely it's going to be a struggle. You're going to have to work at it. And it, it, I mean, honestly, it's so true because like when we're good, we're really, really good. And when we're bad, we're probably the worst. Like it's it sucks. Like we're just both so stubborn compromising. I'm better at it, but I'm still not good. And he doesn't compromise at all. So it's tough. And then, like I said, trust is like the number one thing. And because I think, I think the world of him, like he's probably one of my, if not my most favorite person in the world next to my son, like I just think the world of him. So I'm constantly thinking in my mind, like, well, I can't be the only woman that thinks this. Um, And he's the same way. Like, so he's always got that. Like, I wonder if she has someone there. So that's the worst or I want to say hardest, I don't want to say worst, but it's the hardest part of having like a, a prison relationship is just really having to have 100% trust each other if it's possible. Yeah, I think like, I mean, even in real world relationships, trust is is already hard to build, especially after you've been, you know, through a bad relationship or you're going through a divorce. And then, you know, you're still with that person that, that you're trying to trust and, and make sense of this and make this relationship work. But I can only imagine the level up that would be when somebody that you're communicating with and that you're trying to have a relationship with is incarcerated. It almost just seems like, wow, how that's an even bigger hurdle, I guess I'm saying is to get over. Yeah, it's definitely the, I mean, I've never, this is my first and only relationship I've been in like this. I, like I said, I wasn't looking for it. Like I, my, my family, they're always big on like asking me questions. Cause it's like kind of intriguing to like, how are you with someone like that? You know? So like, I'll tell them like, I don't have like a felon fetish or anything. Like it was just Michael. There was something about him that I wanted. Like it had nothing to do with him being in, you know, prison. Like that wasn't, that wasn't the attraction. It was his mind. He has a very beautiful mind. Like it was literally just him. He could have been, I could have met him off of eHarmony and I would have still felt the same way. It's just, that's, this is just how I happened to meet him. And you can't help who you love and who you fall in love with. No, you can't. That's for sure. So, you know, you, it sounds like you guys are, you're going through these ups and downs. So is it really just the trust issue or is it other things that are coming into play that have, that are making you guys become on and off again? I mean, it's trust, but at the same time, he has a sister that she's probably like his version of like what his mom would be. It's, you know, he lost his mom. So he doesn't really have that type of a motherly figure in his life. And he has a sister who's kind of taken on that role for him. And I think it's great that he has that. But at the same time, she has definitely helped with some of our problems that we've had because, you know, she can follow me on social media. She can see things that I'm doing. And I mean, I am honestly the most boring old lady when I literally work too much. I'm a full-time mom. I don't have any fun, basically. Like doing this is my version of fun. Um, you know, it's just, that, that's, I literally, I just don't have a life. I'll put it like that, but like her, you know, she's told him things that were not necessarily true. And of course he's going to believe her because that's his sister. I would never, I mean, I would be the same way if my sisters came and told me something, you're going to believe them. But yeah. So I feel like having someone kind of put things in your ear, you know, cause her and I would have an open relationship with texting each other and through text, everybody knows like the way you say something may not be the way some, like the way that someone reads it. So if I'm saying something and I have nothing but good intentions and the way you're reading it because you're taking it that way comes off rough or kind of harsh, 
that's how you're going to explain it to someone. And then it's going to make them look like a bad person. So I really, honestly, I hate texting me. I'm more like, let's talk on the phone, come over, let's see each other in person. Uh, I'm just, I'm a big communicator. I, I like to fix things, especially in our relationship. I'm more of like, um, how do we fix this? How do we resolve it? And Michael's more of like, I'm going to, you know, yell at you and call you names. And then I'm, it's going to make me feel better and nothing's going to get resolved. So we, we're very opposite. We already, we always say like, Whatever I'm lacking, he picks up on. And whatever he's lacking, I pick up on. We're just extreme opposites. But yeah, his sister, they're very similar in that way. So I think he kind of fed off of her or feeds off of her. And that's where a lot of our problems came in because they're already a little standoffish with our situation. But when it comes to her, she doesn't. And so that was one of our very last problems we had, as I explained, is like, you know, you proposed to me, you asked me to marry you. I said, yes. But at the same time, I'm not given, I guess, the amount of respect I feel like I deserve. Like, I feel like I should, you know, have the right to take over all of your stuff that's on the outside because that eventually you're going to be living with me and we're going to start a life and a family. But I was never really given, I guess, that privilege, if you want to put it like that. That was probably our last big thing it had to do with his sister which sucks because I do like her and I know she probably doesn't think so. But at the same time, like I said, family is family. You're always going to believe your family over anybody else. It's just, it sucks because I mean, what can I do? There's not much I can do to prove myself to him. I mean, it sounds like there's a couple of things, right? There's, there's the miscommunication part and, and then there's the communication that is between you and his sister that is also seems like it's being miscommunicated. And He's there on the inside trying to piece things together. You're on the outside trying to defend yourself. So it just sounds like it's a bit of a a perfect storm. Yeah. And so, okay, so big, that was a big kind of a, a reveal. You are engaged. Yes. Yeah. Now, currently. Okay. He, that was honestly, he asked me quite some time ago. Like even when I went to go visit him, you know, a month ago, it was really sweet because he introduced me to everybody there as his fiance, which I really appreciated that. It did, that did make me feel special and good because he could have just said, oh, this is Brittany, you know, because at this point it's been, you know, nine, 10 months, everybody knows who I am, but no, he actually used that title and it made me feel good. But yeah, so th- that is a big thing. Because honestly, I, did, I never even told my family that we were engaged because I, I felt like they were just going to kill me, to be honest with you. <laughs> Wait, so to this day, do they not know that you're engaged? No, they do know now. Yeah, they do know now. After going to visit him, I did tell them, you know, like, yes, he did propose to me. And I mean, they were fine about it. They didn't freak out like I expected them to. Um, I just think for them, they wanted me to actually go and see him. That was the big thing that everybody was kind of waiting for because we like, you know, we had our ups and downs for nine, 10 months that they're like, okay, you do need to go see him, see if this is going to work. Because once you see each other in person, that's when you're going to know. You can see each other over video chat. You can, you know, talk on the phone for hours. But once you see each other in person, you'll be able to feel if you have that chemistry and that love, which we did. So after that, I was like, yeah, yeah so you know, he did ask me quite a few months ago and I said, yes, but yeah, they weren't, no, I expected them to react differently, but no, they, they were actually pretty like supportive. So, and you know, I told him that he knew that. So that was nice. But as far as his family goes, I don't know if he ever really told them that he asked 
me to marry him. So may, I don't know, maybe that's where that could be another miscommunication where me and his sister are just off. She probably just sees me like any other woman, you know? So are we to assume that she doesn't know that you guys are engaged right now or does she know? I mean, as of right now, I wouldn't, I mean, since we're fighting, I wouldn't call us anything except for friends, but I would assume that she wouldn't have, like, I don't think he has told her no. I don't think he would have, because I think she may have, she would have treated me differently if he actually told her, but I always felt like that wasn't my place. Like if, you know, she texts me about something or I text her about something that had to do with me and him fine. But like, I just didn't really feel like I should be the one to go and tell people about that. I felt like that was something that he should do if that's his relatives. Just like, I didn't expect him to tell my family, like, Hey, I proposed to her, you know, it, I felt like that was my thing. Like, you know, just so you guys know, he asked me. So I never really tried to get involved there. Her and I really, for the most part, especially after we shared a couple of words, mainly we kept in touch just if I told her like, hey, he called me and, you know, I was busy. I had a tour at my job or something like that. And I didn't answer. I just wanted Know, so if he called her, she could say, hey, just so you know, Brittany said she didn't answer because of this. Because, I mean, a big part of being in these types of relationships is being able to answer the phone to make them feel important. So I do work nine, 10 hour days. So, I mean, I felt like I was, I have done, I feel like I've done a pretty good job considering. But yeah, like if there were times where he, I couldn't answer because I was obviously busy working that also would be an issue. I could be possibly talking to someone else or choosing not to answer it's just, yeah, those are, there's, there's some struggles with these types of relationships. <laughs> it's a lot of trust. It is. It really is. And you're, you're totally right. I mean, you have a full-time job, you're a full-time mom, you have your son, your time is spread out and very limited, it sounds like. And so, and then of course, having to wait by the phone for somebody who currently has a lot of time. Yeah to think and to stew and to make up scenarios. Like it is very, very tough because you're just in different places. I mean, literally and and figuratively, exactly. (laughs) you know, and that, and that's tough. Right. And, And then you put the trust issues in there. You have other people getting involved and like, that is, it really just is, it's, it's kind of this recipe for like, okay, well, what, how, what do we do with this? Like, how do we really make this work? Right. For me, I always told him like, you know, like this, you know, we have to stick this out. It's tough right now because right now, if you want to call me at one o'clock in the morning, because you miss me, you can't do that. You know, like you obviously don't have that right. If you want to text me and say, Hey, where are you? You can't do that. If you do message me, I'm going to get it five hours later. So like, We have to keep in mind there is a finish line. The finish line is you coming here. You're going to be here with me. We're going to start our lives together. You know, like I always tried to like reassure him that like, it's okay. Like I know we're going through rough times right now with the trust, you know, but it's going to get better. And for him, he's very reactive and he is more of the aggressor when we speak. So like I try and come up with the positive, like, you know, I do everything to make you feel a part of my life, even though you're not here. Like when I say I have like custom pillows of him in on the couch and in my bedroom, I have literally a custom like full body pillows of him. He has, you know, Air Force One sitting by the front door here. I've got all of his pictures up on the refrigerator and wall. he's seen all of this stuff, you know, like he's seen it from us doing our video visits. 
But like, even though I try to prove as much as I can, because I always have to feel, I feel like I have to prove myself that still he can like, well, you can put the shoes in the closet. You can throw the pillows in the closet. You can take the pictures down and then someone come over, you know, like there's, I'm the positive, like I'm trying to show you how much I love you. And then there's always like a, a way to get rid of that, I guess is the best way to put it. And I'm like, oh man, gotta have patience, gotta calm myself. Cause like, I don't like to fight. I don't raise my voice. I don't yell. Like that's just not my personality. So I'm more of like, okay, I'll sit here. You go ahead say that you're upset, whatever it is you need to do, make yourself feel better. When you're done, I'm going to say, what can we do to make it better? So that's where, like I say, like he, we're very night and day, but I felt like it worked because opposites do attract. That's where we're at right now. Pretty much is just basically me being the fixer and him being the, I don't want to say aggressor. Cause he's not, I mean, he'll call himself aggressive, but I always tell him like, you're wrong. Like you're, he has his opinion about himself. That's not great. And then I have my opinions about myself that are not great. And I feel like we've done a really good job at trying to make ourselves feel better. But in the heat of the moment, he is more of the, I guess I'm a communicator and he's more of a fighter. So let me ask you this. Do you, do you feel like that is sustainable? Because it, to me, it sounds like you've gone through these ups and downs pretty consistently. And it also sounds like you're willing to put in like the patience and the work. And I'm sure in his own way, he is too. But do you think that at some point this is going to weigh on both of you if it hasn't already? Yeah, I feel like it definitely has. I don't know, like on his part, I'm not sure, but on mine, like I'm honestly to the point where like, I feel like I'm kind of tired, you know, like how, how much more can I, what can I do to prove myself? You know, like what else can I do? Like I literally have tried to do everything I can to show him and I'll even tell him, you can ask Jade, you can ask my sisters, you can ask this person. Cause like, I always feel like I'm trying to prove myself, but he doesn't care. Like he, their words mean nothing to him. He says, so it's like, it's tough. Cause like, I, that's where I always feel like I'm going to be. He knows that no matter what he's permanent in my life, like I'm not, I would never ever write him off and never talk to him again. It's just, I feel like things will get a lot better once he is out and hopefully that's May and when that day happens and when that you know when that day comes if he wanted to really sit down and talk and try and figure out wherever like where all of our little situations went wrong during the last year that would be fine it's just like right now I know he's probably just as exhausted as I am because that's what we do like we're great for two weeks and then we fight and the fight is really bad then we won't talk for a week and then we will again and we're crazy about each other again it's just like this never-ending vicious cycle pretty much I hate to say it but that's exactly what it is one thing that he would always bring up to is the fact that like I'm not technically legally divorced yet but I mean I have been trying my ex will not divorce me like I mean you can't do you can't force someone to do it you can't force them to sign the papers I've done everything that I have at this point he claims that he's taking his steps now and mind you I filed for divorce back in May. So, and we've been separated for way longer than that. It's just, you know, like I've, I've lived by myself with my son for, I don't know, over like a year and a half now, like it's been quite some time. It's just, you know, I always felt that pressure and I know Michael didn't mean it to be like negative, but I always felt like it was like fingers being pointed at me, but I'm like, what am I supposed to do? You can literally go online and look up the documents yourself. Like I have filed everything that I've had to file I can't force it. So it, it, I mean, it has been exhausting. It's just, 
because I've been separated for such a long time with my ex, I let it go. Like that's on the back burner. The only time I really let him drain any of my energy is when it comes to my son, because I, I mean, we're going to have to co-parent forever, pretty much. That's where I felt I like, I feel like when we would fight, I was expecting him to be like my peace and not bring me the negatives. But yeah, I, the first three months of our relationship were just perfection. Like we never fought. I never saw any angry sides of him. He probably never saw any angry sides of me. I probably complained a little bit because I can be clingy. So, you know, I pretty sure our first fight was me saying like, can you please call me more? Cause I, I would miss him, you know? So that's where I feel like maybe after the third month, like when things really started getting extremely serious, where we both knew that we loved each other for sure. That's when I think the pressure really picked up for both of us. And that's when we started fighting because we cared. You, It was just, you could tell, you know? I think it, it it sounds like it's just a lot of stuff at play, both in your, in each other's respective lives, right? Like he is locked up. He has a lot of time to sit and stew in his thoughts, get upset, think about scenarios that aren't happening. You're, on the other hand, on the outside, you're trying to go through this divorce. You're trying to raise your kid. You're doing all these things. And there's like, you know, there's somewhere along the road, there's just like something's missing. And and it's whether it's the communication is being missed, somebody's not hearing or listening. There's it just sounds like it is, it's, you know, it, it takes it takes a lot to have a successful relationship just under normal circumstances. But to then add all this other stuff on top of it, it's very challenging. And you're you're both going through through respective challenges yeah. in each other's lives. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is definitely like, that's why like, you know, we had talked before about would I ever do this again? If things didn't work out, would I ever seek out another pen pal and try to talk to another man that's incarcerated? My number one answer is fuck no, I would never do this. (laughs) I don't blame you. I think like, like I said, relationships are really tough under normal circumstances. And you're going through things that not a lot of people go through in in a relationship. I do want to ask you about Michael. Yeah. So what is he incarcerated for? How long is he incarcerated for? And how much longer does he have? So right now, his charges are aggravated assault, aiding and abetting. And I mean, that's, that's just like right now. What got him into prison is he stole a coin collection from his adopted dad. And then he robbed a pharmacy. So like there was a few things, but he, I mean, he's been in and out of prison for 15 years now, you know? So the most recent has been the aggravated assault. And then he does have an escape charge because he escaped about two to three years ago at this point, it was 2019. So that, you know, added on a couple of years. He just went to his parole meeting on November 16th and he was denied parole. They continued him for six months. So we're, you know, I'm hoping in May, I believe May 5th, I want to say, of 2022, he gets to see the board again. And hopefully they'll hopefully they'll let him out and then he'll go on to a halfway house. That's, I mean, that's coming up, right? Like May is going to be here before we know. Oh it. yeah, it'll come up quick. And okay, so I know that you are in California and remind me of where he's incarcerated again. South Dakota. So what does that look like for you? You're in different states. If he gets out in May, which is, you know, the most ideal situation and he goes to a halfway house 
what does that look for you guys? I mean, he, can he then travel state lines? Is that based off of what the parole board says? No, he wouldn't be able to. That would be up to his parole officer. We had looked into like interstate compact, like having him just do his parole here. That's impossible. So I feel like a lot of it, like a lot of me still being married, it was because it's like if, if me and him were married right away, he could just come right over here. He could just be with me right away, just get released from prison. I could pick him up from prison. We could fly back here together and then we could start our lives together. But because I'm not, obviously that put a big strain on our plans because the plans, you know, it's him to live in California. That's what he wants. Because of that, basically, he's going to have to go to a halfway house. And after six months, I believe of being there, then he's able to, you know, we can get an apartment, he can move. It just, everything depends on how he does basically with his parole officer. Is a part of you nervous or worried that when he does get out, he might reoffend? I mean, it terrifies me him staying there in South Dakota because I know that, you know, there's so many people that he knows he's you know pretty well known in his little area there in South Dakota I I mean I know that he's strong and I know he wants to do good and I know he will do good and he'll do big things but at the same time I know like addiction is hardcore you know it's crazy so I you know I can't I want to say that no I like that I know for a fact he won't but at the same time I do kind of feel like there could be moments of weakness where he will. And hopefully he just makes the right choice and doesn't Um, because even, I mean, I hate to say it, I I won't say where or anything, but halfway houses, even out here in California, they're filled with drugs, you know, like it's just, you have to make sure that you want to do good. And if you want to do good, you're going to do good. But if you're, you know, if you're teeter tottering with your addiction, that's yeah, that's where it's going to be rough. But yeah, it's, it's been, it's gone through my mind and that's where I feel like I've tried so hard and I've talked to my friends about it. Even like, I wish I could just like steal him away as soon as he gets out of prison. It's just, we are stuck in a spot where until I have like a, with my divorce, I can't, there's not really anything I can do. So it's, it sucks. It really sucks. It does. And I agree with you. I mean, drugs are, they make people different <laughs> just to to say the least so i i'm assuming that a lot of the the crimes that he committed were fueled by addiction yes and i we've we talked about this when we when you and i had chatted a couple of weeks ago but i understand that i've never been an addict myself but um you know my brother who's this reoccurring character in this in my podcast <laughs> you know I, all my listeners know like there's that drug element and that is one thing that it's up to the person to decide to change and not, you could do whatever you want as an outsider looking in as a family member, a loved one, whatever. But at the end of the day, it is up to them to change. And that's out of your control, unfortunately. Right. And that's where I, that's where like the control freak in me comes in because I want to be that person just like protect and be like, no, I'm going to make you change your mind. Like I'm going to make you do good. But like I said, I know, like I have so much faith in him. I know what he's capable of you know, I'm scared because I care so much about him. Like I want him to do good, whether, you know, whether I'm in his life with him or without him, I just want him to make the right choices. And I'm, you know, just, I've just visited South Dakota. So I see how small it is and how it's so like, you know, close knit and everybody knows everybody. And I'm like, I'm just terrified for him. I'm not going to lie. 
I don't blame you. I think it's it's one of those scenarios where it's better for somebody to then get out of that that situation and that place because that's going to most more likely than not it's going to foster certain things to happen again. And I, 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 and I only say that because I do, I've seen that with my brother of getting, getting out of prison and then being in the same crowd, knowing the same people. I live in Portland, Oregon. It's not a big city. It's, it's very small. It's very, everybody knows everybody. Like it just, it's easy to get those connections back again. Does it make you nervous? Potentially having him live with you? I'm always very curious about that. Like, do you play around with scenarios in your head? Do you think about safety? Like, I guess I just want to understand, like, walk me through kind of what your your mom part of your brain. That comes up so much with me, probably more, honestly, that, that this comes up more with me than anything else. And even Michael knows, like, i I don't know what it is, but from day one, I have never feared my safety with him, my son's safety. Like, you know, I have my sisters who, you know, they, aren't you afraid? Like he's going to hurt you or that? No, like that never, ever has crossed my mind. Even one time I've never felt like he would ever raise a fist to me or my son, nothing like that whatsoever. Like I have never felt, you know, especially with me and his dad not working out, but like I never even questioned not leaving my son alone with him because he has such a, like a, a dad, like he, well, he has a son of his own. He has never been in his life, but like, he has this like dad thing about him that always made me more attracted to him. And, you know, even like when I went to visit him in prison, we went to a a prison powwow, we're sitting there. And all of these kids are like flocking to me and him and we're laughing. Like I even told him, like, I feel like we're definitely like mom and dad. Like these kids are coming and laughing with us and joking with us and trying to, you know, Michael's pretending to be scared of like this two-year-old kid. And like, you know, we're cracking up together while all these kids, I want to say there's at least three or four kids that just kept coming back to us. He just has this like dad thing about him. I can't even like begin to explain it. Never. Like I would never, ever question my safety with him or, or my son's safety, which people think I'm insane for. And I've heard it several times, but I'm like, no, like, I mean, I think I'm a pretty good judge of character. I try to be anyways, you know, like a part of my job is hiring teachers and I have to trust them that they're going to do their job and, you know, they're working with kids. So I feel like I have that. He's never, no, like I would never ever fear him being alone with me and my son or just even with my son that's never crossed my mind which my mom would probably think I'm insane for that because she does but no like he's just got this very big father figure aura about him and he knows that I think that too that's one of the things that I love about him I think that's really interesting because it's almost like you are giving him in a sense this I mean not in a sense you're giving him this trust and, and I'm sure that internally he's like, he recognizes that. Yeah, I think he does. But that's not something that you've, I mean, you've talked about the, the, your children and, and respective children and the safety of your child and how, you know, you're, I'm sure you're a mama bear, like all the mama bears that I know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's really interesting to me because it's almost just like, it sounds like it's kind of subconscious. Yeah. Like you've given him that trust already and he may or may not see that, but he's 
you know, I don't know. It's just, that's a very interesting observation. Yeah. My son, like, it's crazy too, because they've only like, they know each other from, you know, video chatting, like we'll do our video visits and my son will be there. So like, Michael is not Michael for my son. He's baby. Like my son will call him baby. And I think it's because he hears me call him baby so much. So like Michael's baby in our house, but yeah. So he's just super comfortable with him. They'll talk to each other on the phone. It, it's like they have their own little cool relationship. And, you know, Michael will joke and say, just wait till I'm there. Like, we're going to terrorize you. And, you know, and I, I obviously that would a hundred percent happen. They're both nightmares. I tell them both, you both drive me insane. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do when you're here. And he, already my son drives me nuts, but yeah, they have their own little cool relationship, which is really sweet to see because he hasn't met him in person yet. Like I have with Michael, but yeah, like it's, I'm telling you, those are the parts where it's like, we obviously trust has been an issue in our relationship, but I feel like trust, it's been trust, like him feeling like I'm unfaithful or me feeling like he's unfaithful. But when it comes down to like the core of like his character, I do trust him. I know that he would never hurt me. Like, you know, I know that he would never hurt my son. Like he's a great man. Like, and I know that he knows I'm a a great woman. You know, I don't want to boast on myself, but I mean, well, you know, like I, I, my intentions are pure and genuine and I know he knows that about me and, you know, I'm, I'm loyal and, you know, I, I do what I can basically, but when it comes down to like the core of like our family values and what we want in life, they're exactly the same. He craves a family life. I crave a family life. You know, I obviously I've been married. I have a son. He's never been married. He does have a son, but he's never given the opportunity to be a father to him. So we're both craving the same things that we kind of have been robbed of, you know, since childhood basically so our values and what we want are the same it's just like I said I feel like the one obstacle in the way is basically just him being in there and that's why I always tell him like babe just wait till we get to the finish line once you're out everything will be perfect but it's just like in the meantime it's like geez how many times are we gonna get mad at each other you know (laughs) it sounds like that's something that you are going to have to work on continually until it gets to a point where you can have this agreement or have this middle ground to meet each other on. And, and of course, right. Like if he does get out in May, there's that changes a lot of that dynamic because he will be in the free world and not, not locked up behind bars. And then there's, you know, then there's that from that stems other things that you're, you will have to work through. I imagine. I do want to ask how was it meeting him in person for the first time? Oh my gosh, the whole me going there was insane because that's probably the craziest thing I've ever done. Like I've never traveled anywhere alone that far, but it was amazing because I kind of got to see like what I'm capable of and what I can do. You know, I traveled there the weekend that the time changed. So when I left my hotel room, didn't even realize the time was going to change. So I ended up having to sleep in my car for a whole extra hour in like 20 degree weather because South Dakota was freezing at that point. Um, but meeting him like face to face, it was crazy. Like the second we saw each other, we just like, our smiles were huge. We grabbed each other, hugged each other. Cause it's been like, you know, almost a year of just talking to each other. So getting that actual physical touch, you know, I don't think we like, we held hands for probably nine hours. I was, I, it was nice to be able to go for a powwow. Cause I got to see him from you know, eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning till five o'clock at night. So that was amazing. Cause like I said, I don't think there was a, a moment where we weren't touching each other. We weren't holding hands. We got in trouble because he kissed me twice. And yeah, <laughs> it, was good. it was good. It was good. 
Okay. So wait, walk me through this powwow. I, I want to know every detail about this. Well, okay. So when I first got there, I was lucky because I'm standing in line. There's a woman in front of me and I don't know, like I'm very, I pick up on energy. Like I'm a big energy person with people. So the second, like we kind of just looked at each other. I think I made a comment about how cold it was because like I'm used to California weather, you know, even in the winter, it's not that cold. So there I'm like freezing my ass off. Basically. I'm like, Oh my God. And I said, you know, Oh my God, it's not like this in California. And she was like, Oh honey, you're from California. And from there we just started talking and she asked me like, do you want to sit with me? And I was like, yeah. Cause I didn't know anybody, obviously it was just me there. So she checks in and they let her in and then she waited for me, which was so sweet. And I check in and I go in and I told her, you lead the way, like you've done this, like her, her uh, husband's been incarcerated there for about four years now. So she's like pro at everything. I obviously didn't know anything at this point. She didn't know I hadn't met Michael yet in person. So we go in, we find a table, we sit down. Then she starts asking about me and Michael. And I tell her like our story and she gets teary eyed. And I'm like, oh no, please, you're making me nervous. Like my stomach is hurting now that I'm telling you this stuff. And she's like, this is such a beautiful story. You have no idea. I'm so excited for you to see him. So she's actually looking out for me. Her eyes are like peeled back looking for him. And she's like, is that him? Is that him? Is that him? I'm like, no, no, no. And then the second like we see each other, she knew she started like crying. And so Michael comes and hugs me. Then he looks down at her because she's sitting down and she's like, I'm sorry. I heard everything. I know your entire story. And we both started cracking up and it was really cute. So we ended up sitting with her and her husband the entire day and just talking, having a good time. Her husband was saying like, you know, you just make sure that you're good to her. Like you, you got to keep a good woman by your side. And Michael was very sweet to say, like, I've never had someone that's been pretty much like rocking with me this entire time and and doing the time with me. And I make sure that he's okay. Like with everything, you know, like I always, my biggest thing, I always tell him eat Michael eat. Like, I don't want him hungry. That's like the mom in me eat something. I don't want you hungry. So yeah. So I mean, it was just amazing. And then I'm not a dancer. He forced me to dance with all these inmates doing these native American dances, which was really, really cute. But yeah, it was honestly, it was incredible seeing the inmates have a good time. I got to meet so many different inmates in there and just hear their stories and have fun with them. You could really tell that they just, that was probably the best day that they had had in a long time. And it was so heartwarming to watch and see their families get to talk to them. Like they're not sitting at a, across from us at a table where we're holding hands and staring at each other. We get to walk around with each other, you know, interact with each other, hug whenever we want to, you know, like those types of things you can't really, they're priceless for these guys. So seeing them so happy, like meant so much to me. I could just, because like I said, like hearing these stories, I mean, there's guys that have been in there for 15, 20 years for like marijuana charges. And when I'm living in California where you can walk down the street and smoke a joint, it gets me so pissed knowing that they're in there for that. You know, like it just, it, the whole system, it, it really gets me sick, but yeah, it was amazing. Needless to say, probably one of the best days I've had. That sounds incredible. So it was a Native American powwow in South Dakota that you got to experience in this prison. Yep. Like singing, dancing, uh, 
all together, like a big party. Yeah. We had Indian tacos. We had Buffalo stew. Like it was so good. And Michael was the sweetest. Like he served me all day long, bringing me like Kool-Aid and water and coffee. And every meal we like every dish. Cause there was, Oh my God, we had so much food. Every single thing he would get up and go get it for me and bring it to me. It was very sweet. Like he was very gentleman-like and yeah, like just seeing these guys get to like interact with their family members and their children, like seeing them be fathers and it was just, it it was really, really nice to see. I feel like from the experiences that I've had visiting prisons and the experiences that my other interviewees have shared with me about their visitations to prisons, like this is one of the most, I guess, different experiences that I think I've ever heard. No, honestly, it was... I mean, me being mean, when I say I have no experience with prison other than Michael, I have zero experience. Like he'll say something. I'm like, what does that mean? And he's like, oh, you're so innocent. Like, I don't know anything when it comes to this stuff. So me going there and getting to hang out with these guys like that have been in there for years. Like I honestly, it just felt like a nice big party. There was no, it was not uncomfortable. It was fun. Like I, it was probably one of the best days that I've had. I honestly, I guess the most like uncomfortable part would just be getting checked in because they had to like pull my bra up a little bit and like feel on me a little bit. So that was a little bit uncomfortable, obviously. Other than that, no, like it was a great day. Yeah. They never make visitations easy. You're wearing an underwire bra and then you're sent home. I mean, it's a whole thing. And so, I mean, I've talked extensively with other, with, in my other episodes, you know, with just people's experiences about that. And it always just seems to vary. So that's why this, the experience that you've had with this Native American powwow is so like kind of mind blowing for me because I didn't think that that would be allowed. I know. I didn't either. That's why when he had asked me, because to be honest with you, like him and I stopped talking for maybe about two weeks, which is huge for us. Cause we, you know, we talk every single day, but he just randomly called me and said, come to the powwow, you know, here. And I was like, we haven't talked in two weeks. He's like, I know, but come to the powwow. And I was like, oh my God, like, am I going to do this? Am I finally going to see him face to face? Like, we're going to like figure out, like, is it worth it or not? So I did, I booked my ticket and I was like, right, I'm coming. I did. I got there the day before uh, about eight, nine o'clock at night. We were able to talk until 1030 because that's when the phone shut off there. And then the next morning he called me right away, super early and was like, right, start getting ready, get here, you know, like, let's do this. It was really cute because the streets there, you know, I, oh my God, it's, the, the whole experience is just way different for me being from California, but it was cute because he was able to see me from his window. So he started like cat calling me from the window because he thought I looked cute, which I thought was adorable. But yeah, I, I stood in line with all these other families that were attending and then all they had to do is just check us in. Once we got in there, I mean, it was just, I mean, it would have been like going to like a, a middle school dance like we got to walk around wherever we wanted to you know like got to hold hands talk it was super normal and I I think maybe that was probably the best way to meet him to be honest with you you know it was super comfortable well it sounds like you make it you made a friend in there so she was able to help you walk through all these like weird things that you've never experienced before just like you know the going through the security, waiting, sitting, watching for Michael to come through, all of that stuff. So it really helped to have like a little bit of support that you didn't know you needed. Yeah. Has this experience with Michael and this relationship with Michael made you view the criminal justice system differently than you did before? Yeah. I mean, yes, because before him and I, I, you know, I'm just, I never even gave it a second thought, I guess you could say. 
but now being in a relationship with someone where I'm like seeing that they're not treated like human, you know, like that, that really bothers me because they don't deserve that. I know that they've made bad choices and bad decisions. And I mean, we all do, even people that aren't in prison, we do it every day. We just aren't locked up for it. It does, you know, like it, it sucks. Like prison reform really needs to happen because it's just not fair. They're treated so sadly, you know, even you know, just to bring up the power again, like, he left like 15 minutes early from us hanging out purely because he said like, well, I, I would rather go and get strip searched without anybody there. You know, I'm like, that's so sad, you know, like that he would rather leave 10, 15 minutes early from getting to see like the flags go, you know, basically like they do like a native American flag thing, but like in his mind, like that's why he wanted to leave because it's uncomfortable. You know, they already searched me. Why did they have to, to literally strip search him, you know, like things like that. I'm like, come on. I do understand that they are able, I know that things happen, but at the same time, like, it's just, it, it's not fair. The way that they're treated, it's just not right. And I, I wish that they spent more time thinking about how they can help these guys succeed on the outside and how to rehabilitate them instead of punish them mainly. Like if they focus more on that, I think it would be obviously much better for society but at the same time I feel like they set them up to fail because they want them to go back in so I mean it's like a vicious cycle pretty much especially when you have the privatized prisons which is just prison for profit and is in their best business interest to have repeating offenders yeah come in and out of prison because they're making money off for sure like we him and I we got approached from a show and it it's on a Peacock TV. It was after we did a episode of Love Don't Judge. I, I was like trying to explain to the warden because they have zero media access. And I'm trying to explain this kind of coverage could be great for the prison. And it also is going to benefit Michael financially. You know, like I'm trying to like, like, how is it? I just, I, I, honestly, it's, it's frustrating because they're so closed off to to helping these guys, you know, like obviously doing, doing a, a major show on a major network, that's going to help Michael a lot when he's out, he's going to have money, you know, like he's going to be able to not have to do things to get money. He's going to have it even get, getting coverage for the prison, you know, like they, you see shows like 60 days in things like that. Like you're going to, it's going to benefit both parties, but for whatever reason, they just shut things like that down. And it makes you kind of wonder why in a, suspicious way you know but yeah no like I there are so many things that they could do like Michael's biggest thing is he always tells me is like it gets him mad whenever he has attended any classes there he's like these people don't have any degrees like it's just some little girl that's basically like oh I had a boyfriend that had a drug addiction and he's like no like that's not good enough for me like you want me to listen to you and take a class from you and you don't even know what it's like to be an addict I want someone who's gone through it that's going to teach me how to not want drugs you know and it just makes a lot of sense. It's like if they if they took more time focusing on, you know, making programs for these guys and even classes, just life skills. Most most of these guys are going to come out and not how to know how to like balance a bank account, stuff like that. Just get them ready for those types of things. That's better, because like I said, even the halfway houses, they'll they'll get there and they don't have enough support to really understand how to maneuver life on the outside. That's what they need. I agree with you 100%. And it really does make you think about what are these institutions doing for the the men and women who are 
getting out, it's, I mean, the answer is really nothing because you're right. Like how they're going to get out and not know how to balance a, a checkbook, their bank account. They're not going to know how to have, you know, strong interpersonal relationships because they've been in prison for 15 years and have had to be on guard and, you know, all, all the time. So how are they going to have strong relationships with their family members and their loved ones coming out? Because they've just had to survive for however many years they've been in. And it, it just, it makes you, I mean, and that's what, when I, when my mind goes to prison reform, that's what I would think, right? Like education, education is key, right? Like you're educating somebody on how to have a relationship or how to, you know, go get a job and create a resume. Why aren't we having, why aren't those mandatory? Like getting out and them getting jobs. Like it's like they set them up for failure. Like they want, they say, oh, you can do this if you get a job. Like even when they're in a a house, a halfway house, most places do not want to hire people that have that criminal background. So then can we educate them to who's going to hire you then? Let's find those places, you know, like where do we look? Even getting a place to live. You know, like that, his, one of his biggest things with me, me living in California, he's like, you know, where you live, is it felon friendly? I'm like, what does that mean? I'd never even heard of that term before. He's like, well, you know, like your landlord, like, is it going to be okay if I live there? Like, you know, we have to tell them I'm a felon, things like that. It's like, you, they don't let you really, they don't teach them those types of things. You know, it's just, they get out and then, well, good luck. And that's sad. Like they need so much more support than that. And like I said, most of it just this past year, like talking to him and really listening, you know, cause we've talked hours, four or five hours a day. They don't treat them like human beings. They're literally like dehumanized there. And it's very, very sad. And that's why these guys struggle. And I feel like a lot of that has to do with the problems that him and I have had in our relationship is just, they are not, they're not taught to trust, you know, like you said, they're always on guard. So how, how are they going to come out and be in society where, you know, we, like you said, having a normal relationship is hard. So being in a prison relationship, it's even 10 times harder. They're, they're going to be on guard forever. It's just, it's tough. I feel for them. And I wish that really like sitting down and getting to the core of like the problems of everything that needs to be changed. They really, number one is they need like a qualified staff, to be honest with you. Even just going there and visiting and seeing like the staffing, it's they just need qualified staff in prisons because that's really like staff that actually cared. You know, they want to go to work so they can help these guys, not for a paycheck. Yeah. I mean, it it really all it boils down to these very fundamental things that in my mind I feel is simple to <laughs> right. Like you qualified staff. Great. Have, have staff that is educated and wants to help and has these qualifications to help these inmates prepare for the outside to serve their time and then, and then get out of prison and feel like they can be in society without having to then reoffend. I don't understand why it's so complicated. And, and, and then on, in the same breath, it's also giving these inmates a hope when they are released it's okay, now we have a society that that then can better sustain and give them opportunities and give them housing. All these things that I feel like are just basic needs that don't have to be a struggle, that don't have to be unheard of to just have them get out and walk into a place where they can have opportunity. <laughs> I mean, it just, it's it's it blows my mind every single day and every time that I do this podcast and talk to people on my show 
and realize that it's such a struggle. And that's why we have repeat offenders because there's really, when you boil it down, it's just, it's hopeless. Right. And with me moving like into my divorce, like I was telling Michael, okay, my biggest thing is like, once I'm divorced, like if we do actually get married and you are able to come here right away, my biggest thing, which he was totally open to, I told him for like two months, I just want you to relax. Like, I don't want you overwhelmed. I don't want you stressed. I don't want anything that's going to like trigger you. Cause I know it's already going to be hard enough going into a store, you know, getting to just walk around freely is going to like kind of freak you out a little bit. So I told him, I just want two months of you just being here with me, stay home, work out, whatever it is, read books, whatever you want to do to make yourself happy. Because like, I don't want you to stress. Not every guy in there or even women, you know, like they don't have that kind of support system. So that's the sad part is like some of these guys are coming out completely alone. Those are usually the ones that will go right back in because they don't have any other help. Like, you know, like that when they need help, they're going to figure out how to do it. doesn't matter if it's legal or illegal. They're just going to do what helps them now. So I feel like if they, like if they really focused on like the next step, once they are getting out, I think that would help a lot more. And like I said, like, I'm not against halfway houses or anything like that, but just doing my, my homework. I have a lot of friends that are social workers and they'll talk to me about it. It's like, those are not, you'd think that they would be healthy environments for these guys, but even then they're not. So it's so scary because that's where you get the repeat offenders. Absolutely. And just like you said, not everybody has a support system, especially if you come from low socioeconomic status or, uh, you know, a non-supportive family and you, you know, all of these things come into play. And then what opportunity do these people have when they get out? They don't have anybody. And of course they're going to go back to the old ways and what got them in there in the first place, because it's familiar and they know how to do it. And they know, you know, I mean, watching my brother, he didn't have as much as, you know, my, my family's pretty broken. And so, you know, my husband and I were there when my brother got out, but other than that, he didn't have anyone else. And then even then my husband and I have our own lives, our careers, our, our, our other family, you know, all this other stuff. And so my brother then realized that when he went to apply for jobs, for example, that black mark of having a felony on his record was getting him constantly rejected. So what does he turn to? He turns to a substance that makes him feel better or escapes him for hours or whatever, a moment in time. So you can just forget about the stress of being in the real world. Right. And that's fucked up. <laughs> However way you slice it, it's just, it's fucked up. It is it, honestly. And that's why for me, like, you know, one of our biggest things, like going into our relationship is I asked him like, what is it that you want to do? And that, this, I mean, honestly, this was even before, we became a couple or anything. And he said he wanted to be a physical trainer. So for me, it was huge. Like I got him enrolled in school. He's technically a physical trainer right now. He's a nutritionist. Like he could do whatever he wants. As soon as he gets out, he just needs to get out. Like that's the number one problem right now is he just needs to get out. Not every person in there is going to be given that kind of opportunity where someone cares if they go to school and they better themselves. You know, like that's the for him, that meant everything. And to me, that means everything. I want him to do good. I just want him to, he knows at the end of the day, no matter what, I just want him happy. And I know he knows that to his core. Yeah. Like the, just moving forward, like into the future. I mean, these guys, like I just, it 
seeing them and, and hearing their stories. And most of them didn't even have people like, like how your brother had you and how Michael has me. They don't have that. And that I just wish that there was some kind of program that they could form for guys like that. So right when they're getting out they're they're not alone. And cause that's the number one thing that does it. They want to feel like they belong. And that's usually how you get back into what you were getting into, or you join gangs. Cause you just want to feel like you belong. Like you have someone. It's just, I, I feel terrible. As with any relationship in the free world or otherwise, things don't always go as planned. Trust issues, family dynamics, space, time, all of those things play a role in the success of a relationship. I've spoken to Brittany since this interview, and Michael is scheduled for release soon, but they're no longer together. However, they do still remain close. You can still hear the love between them during their phone calls, even as friends. This episode was produced by Jason Sosoyev. And special thanks to Matthew Street for creating Penn's theme music. If you or someone you know has a story to share, please send me a note at pendpodcast.com. Mm-hmm.